Hi there, welcome to the Second Adolescence Podcast. Here, we talk about all things queer healing and second adolescence. So what is second adolescence, you might ask? Second adolescence is a sort of developmental life stage queer people navigate in our post-coming out adult years after growing up within an anti-queer world. For many, second adolescence is about healing the wounds of our younger queer selves, gaining the experiences they missed out on, and unlocking what it means for us to exist as our most free and true selves. I am your host, Adam James Cohen, psychotherapist and human who went through his own second adolescence. On this week's episode, we have writer Molly Fosco. Now, Molly is actually a good friend of mine in real life. So just like episode eight with Zach, we have another friend episode coming at you. It's getting wild over here. Anywho, it was so fun to have Molly on and really interesting how you can learn so much about someone's story that you know in real life when you are sitting down talking about one specific thing. Yeah, it was wild to get to know more about her story than I even knew before. So on the show, we'll hear Molly share about her journey. So she is a queer woman in a polyamorous triad with her two partners, and she shares about what that evolution was to getting to this point now. Growing up, she grew up in a pretty queer supportive context, but she never even thought about her own identity as being anything other than straight, despite having attraction to other girls and despite being in this queer supportive context. She shares about how her own journey with getting clarity around her romantic identity and sexual identity has evolved and how eventually being at age 30 when she began opening up the space to allow for her pull towards women to be able to take shape in her life and in her relationship. This was such a great conversation and I'm really excited to invite you into it. And now as with each episode on the show and each guest story, I wanna invite you as a listener to listen with open curiosity, knowing that each of our stories are unique and different. You might hear things shared on today's episode that really differ from your experience. And you also might hear some things that absolutely give voice to what you went through or are currently going through. And I really hope that all of this happens and that together we can continue growing and expanding our awareness of what life and queerness and healing can be for folks. If after the show you want to connect further, feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more, or follow the show on Instagram at at secondadolescencepod. All right, thanks for being here. Here is the conversation. Welcome to Second Adolescence. I am really pumped to have you here. And as mentioned in the intro, I know you in real life. We are actually friends. And so some of the conversation that we have today will be questions that I maybe know the answers to, but I also think there's going to be a lot I'm going to learn. And so I'm really excited to do this. And it's also weird to do this with a friend. (laughs) No, I'm really excited to do it as well. And really excited that we get the chance to talk about all this stuff. Okay, cool. Awesome. Okay, back up. Give the listeners some context to who the person is behind the voice. I'm sure we'll dive in more into your story, but what's kind of the initial introduction to who you are? So my name is Molly Fosco. I'm originally from Minneapolis, and I've lived in San Francisco for about 10 years now. I'm a writer. I also love to move my body, go for runs. I love dance. I grew up as a dancer, so relish any opportunity I get to incorporate dance into a workout. And I have two partners, Adam and Annie. I've been with Adam for 10 years, and we've been with Annie for a little over three years. I guess the technical term is a polyamorous triad, but you know, labels are weird. (laughs) Mm, Totally. Okay. I want to know more about that. And as 
We both know, I know a lot of your story because we're good friends, but I'm going to ask questions as we go as if perhaps I don't. But I actually, before going into your story, and I'm eager to learn more that I don't know, I want to kind of frame us in this idea of second adolescence. I'm just curious to start there. Like, What in that idea did you either connect with or resonate with or even have questions about? Like, What made you kind of say, oh, actually, yeah, like that feels true to my story in some way? Great question. I think... Probably the biggest thing that resonated for me with the term second adolescence was, you know, my relationship with Adam and Annie. I think particularly when it comes to Annie growing up, like I knew that I was attracted to women, but I had only ever dated men. And so in my mind, I was like, well, I do have this attraction to women, but I think I'm only romantically interested in men. And I really didn't think that I would ever date or fall in love with a woman. We can probably get more into why that was as we chat. So in developing this relationship with Annie and with the two of them, it really felt like it opened the possibilities of what life and particularly romantic life could look like. And I felt like I was experiencing something that I never thought I would experience in my life. You know, just the concept of having two partners, of being with a woman and falling in love with a woman. And I just really started to feel like I was being my true self for the first Mm -hmm. time. And I think that's what really resonated with me in terms of second adolescence. It felt like I was kind of living my truth for the first time as Mm -hmm. our relationship developed. Oh, and how long has that been? What's the time frame again? Yeah, it's been a little over three years now. I think, yeah, we started dating Annie in, yeah, 2018. So through about three and a half years. Wow. Okay. We're going to get there. But yeah, you mentioned kind of because of your experience growing up and kind of what was maybe happening in your younger years, this wasn't necessarily something you saw for yourself, like pursuing any type of sexual romantic relationship with a woman or a girl. But you also noticed that you've had some attraction to girls throughout your life. Yeah. Walk us backwards in time to kind of lead us upwards. Where did your story begin with all that? So It's super interesting because, as I mentioned, I grew up in Minneapolis, which is a very liberal city, and I grew Mm -hmm. up in a very liberal, open-minded community, and I grew up knowing that being gay was okay. I even had Mm -hmm. friends that came out as early as middle school, friends that came out as bi, as gay. It was always something that I knew was okay. There was no shame associated with it, but I think for whatever reason, my romantic desires developed maybe more quickly for men. And when I say romance, I mean, I think when we first start to experience like sexual fantasies, you know, in Mm -hmm. in adolescence and first Mm -hmm. adolescence, Mm -hmm. um, I think I experienced attraction or sexual desires for both, well, at that time, girls and boys. But I had this idea in my head and maybe that can be attributed to a lot of different things. I think it's still heterosexuality was the norm. And all these kind of archetypes, I mean, you came of age in the 90s and 2000s, right? It's like all these Mm -hmm. like romantic movies Mm -hmm. and I don't know, just everything that we were bombarded with, it was very heteronormative. And I really, I think, idealized that kind of rom-com kind of like I wanted to fall in love Mm -hmm. with someone and get married and have babies. And Mm -hmm. to me, that could only be a boy or a man. Mm. You know, and I, I just didn't ever think of the possibility of falling in love with a woman. Mm. Fast forward, and this could have maybe gone differently. I never really met mm. a girl in first adolescence who I was attracted to and was also attracted to me. Looking back, I did have crushes on girls, but mm. it was never the type of scenario where it was reciprocated, where it could have mm. developed into something. I only experienced that with boys and then mm. men. So I'd only ever seriously dated, had sex with, and fallen in love with 
men. Mm. So by the time I got to my mid twenties, I think I developed this notion in my head that I knew that I had desires for women, sexual desires, but that I was maybe bisexual in the most literal sense. Like Mm. I was interested in sex with women, but Mm. not romance and love. What's the word? Heteroromantic. I was bisexual, Mm. but heteroromantic. I don't think I even had the terminology for that at that point. Later in life, I think as I consumed more media around sex and love and romance, I did hear these terms, right? Mm. Bisexual, heteroromantic. Mm. And I was like, oh, I think that's what I am. Mm. And then, you know, I think when I met Annie, that that really changed. And we laugh about it now because I said this to Annie within the first week of us meeting. I said, yeah, I, I'm definitely attracted to women, but I don't think I could ever fall in love with or be in a relationship with a woman. And she mm. was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I think she kind of took that as a challenge. A, a challenge accepted. Exactly. <laughs> and uh-huh. here we are three and a half years later. So oh. yeah. Whoa. Okay. Wait, I want to pause and back up. Like I'm so fascinated by first, like you were ever this like little sub community in Minneapolis in what the nineties, early two thousands where like queerness was like a really around you and normalized yeah. and okay. Like I am yeah. here for that. And so I'm really yeah. curious, like how did that even happen? I don't know. I think it was just that, yeah, in this kind of, and there's probably multiple sub-communities like this in Minneapolis, but just, sure. I would not classify my parents as as hippies, but I had a lot of friends whose parents were, you know, could be considered hippies, mm. who just, you know, a lot of whom had, had actually spent time in San Francisco in like the summer of love era. Mm. And I think we're just more open-minded about free love and queerness. Yeah. And so I knew a lot of people that were comfortable enough with their sexuality and with being accepted largely by our community that they actually came out. I had two who are still two of my best friends today who dated women, actually the same woman (laughs) at different different times (laughs) yeah, Mm -hmm. in high school. And that was just normal. And Mm -hmm. yeah, there was like quite a few people in our group of friends who were out and it was just, I don't know, the high school I went to was just very, there was a gay straight alliance organization there was like Mm. i think there was an lgbtq group as well but i was part of the gay straight alliance because i was like i'm a straight ally of Mm. you know not knowing at the time that i was also queer yeah um but because we had these groups and organizations other high schools in minneapolis called us the gay school (laughs) whoa so it was unique right it wasn't like all of minneapolis was just like super down with queerness right but yeah my high school was definitely unique in that way within that bubble it did feel normal Wow. I'm like, yeah, I'm so fascinated by that. And like, so cool. And it's also so interesting and really speaks to just like the power of culture, how, because it was such a heteronormative culture, like, even though you were around queerness, it felt okay. And like, perhaps you yourself are starting to kind of have these like attractions towards other girls that the scripts Mm -hmm. of like, yeah, the rom-coms, like the mythology of our culture of like, no, okay, you, we fall in love with this type of person. It sounds like that was still just so strong within you. Yeah, it definitely was. I don't know. I just still, part of me wanted to, I think still, yeah, fit into that narrative. And again, like my own immediate family and a good portion of my extended family is very open-minded, very Mm. accepting of queerness. But I think I still had this idea of like, you know, cause I was very straight A's mm. extracurriculars. Like I was that type of type, a good student needed to check all the boxes, do all the things. Right. And I think being in a hetero relationship and then getting married and having, you know, just doing the traditional, like check the boxes mm. things, it was important to me at the time, or it felt like what I needed to do, what was expected of me. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
know, it's like the right thing to do or the thing to do. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. So like in high school, you mentioned kind of attractions to girls. Did you have like any experiences with girls in high school? Like what was happening to that development of the sexual self and queerness? Yeah, it's a good question. And I was just reminiscing about this with a friend of mine who I saw this past weekend from high school, who is one of my friends who was out in high school and dated another friend of mine, uh, both women. And we were talking about how it was, yeah, kind of crazy that I didn't really come out as queer until I was 30, because I did have limited, limited sexual experiences with girls in high school. Yes, but there was making out that happened for sure. And I Mm -hmm. do remember being actually very attracted to one of my friends. But she was, well, this is actually the same girl who my two other friends ended up dating. <laughs> wow. So, uh-huh. Uh-huh. so while we did have, you know, certainly flirtation, there was some making out that happened. She ultimately dated two of my good friends. I do remember feeling a little bit rejected at the time, right? Yeah, totally. But I think my defense mechanism was, well, I'm not interested in girl. I'm not, I'm not bi. I'm not queer. You know, that was like, so I was like, I don't care if she wants to date them because I'm not actually queer, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, looking back, I think that was definitely a defense mechanism. This one girl and then maybe like two other girls where we would be like, you know, drunk at a party at a kegger and, you know, we would make out. And I always found it, you know, very exciting, but I, th- mm-hmm. I only remember just the one girl actually having like, I think, real legitimate attraction and desire for. When you're like an adult looking back at those moments, like what happens for the adult you in this moment, looking backwards at like that little you? Such a good question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's like a little bit too bad that I wasn't more comfortable with myself at the time to like realize that I was, I think, as attracted to girls as I was to boys and to Mm. have, you know, if I had let myself explore that, Mm. perhaps could have had other relationships at the time with girls and not just Mm. boys. And Mm. That certainly could have opened up other opportunities. And I think taking me out of this idea of like the archetype of like have to be perfect, straight A, all the things. Totally. But yeah, I think that was like really holding me back. Totally. um, For a long time. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like that archetype like didn't even let you give like full permission to understand what those feelings were. Yeah. It doesn't sound like necessarily there was a lot of shame for those feelings for other girls. It sounds like you just put those in like a separate box. Is that right? Yeah, I would say that's probably... A good description of what was going on. Yeah, it wasn't like shameful, but it also like it wasn't fully real or like I didn't let it be fully real. And so I've now had the experience of being an adult telling my family and friends like I'm queer, I have a girlfriend, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know. I think at the time, like if I had realized that I was queer then and dated a girl, I would have had to like come out. I would have had to be confident in that and talking about it. And I have a feeling that maybe I would have experienced some shame with that at that age. Mm. Like, you know, 16, Mm. 17 year old Molly was not fully prepared to have that be part of my identity. Okay. So then what happened next in your journey? In my journey. So in college, had a very serious boyfriend for like all of college. Mm. We broke up when I first moved to California. I lived in LA first and Mm. Adam is someone who I've known since college. We were friends in college and he was living in San Francisco around the same time that I moved to LA. And he came down to LA for a weekend to visit some friends and we met up and reconnected. Sparks flew and Mm. I was like, okay, you live, you know, six hours away. Like we're not going to date. And he was very insistent. He was like, you know, I think we can make this work. I think we can make long distance work. (laughs) So Adam and I 
dated long distance for two years. I eventually realized that I'm not an LA person at all. (laughs) San Francisco felt much more like home. And so I moved up here to the Bay. And so I guess the next sort of like important part in this journey is in being in the Bay Area and being around just a very queer culture for sure, but just openness. Mm. We knew and now know a lot of other couples and people who are open, who identify as poly. And I would say like maybe four or so years ago that it was started being not just people we knew of, but like our close friends were experimenting with like open relationships and different ways of experiencing romantic life. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I was at first very not down with that idea. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, you know, there's all these issues where I have like jealousy that come up. And mm-hmm. I just didn't think that that was something for me. But the mm-hmm. more Adam and I talked about it, and he was very aware that I was attracted to women. And I had, at that point, I had not had any sexual experiences other than making out in high school uh, with uh-huh. women. And, you know, he was like, is that something that you want? Is that, you know, and I was like, I don't know, I maybe, you know. Yeah. And so we talked more about the idea of maybe having a threesome or hooking up with another couple. Mm. And the first time we did end up doing that, we joined um, an app. It's called Field. I think it's like <laughs> playing the field. <laughs> yep. It's gotten much more popular in recent years, but this totally. was like 2017. Mm-hmm. And this is when we were briefly living in Vermont. We met this lovely couple on there and we went on a date with them. And we just kind of got to know each other and what we were looking for. And then we did end up having a sexual experience with them and it was felt very safe and Mm. exciting. And like, we're all on the same page. And so that was my first time um, actually having, you know, experiencing sex with a woman and Adam was there too. And her husband was there too, Uh (laughs) but it was, it went really well. Like, honestly, I feel like I've heard so many stories about how these kinds of Mm. situations can end in disaster. And It was really wonderful. And we ended up seeing this couple, I think just one other time. But yeah, it was probably the best it could have gone. Um, Okay, wait, can I ask a couple questions about that? Yeah, yeah. Let me first back up even farther. Then I want to come back to that first experience with this woman in this partnership. Mm -hmm. You said like it was known that you had these attractions to women. Yeah. How did that like first get brought into the relationship? I think that can be a tough point for folks to figure out how do I communicate this other desire to my partner that maybe isn't already a part of the expectations of our couplehood? Like how did those first introductions go? Great question. And I feel like this isn't something I would probably share widely with my parents, for example, but I do actually feel comfortable talking about it here. I was really only ever interested in watching lesbian sex in porn. The only Mm -hmm. porn I've ever been interested in was (laughs) two women. (laughs) Like that was just you know, and like in talking about that with friends, you know, I think there, I have other friends who are identify as straight that mm-hmm. were like, oh, I also find lesbian porn sexy because totally. I think a lot of straight porn can end up feeling like very misogynistic. Oh, it's absolutely. like not, <laughs> yeah. yeah totally. um, and so for a long time, I thought like, oh, well, maybe that's the reason why mm-hmm. I only like lesbian porn is because mm-hmm. straight porn's just not feminist. It's gross. It's yeah. whatever. Uh-huh. But I think ultimately what was going on is I was actually just really turned on by the idea of two women having sex. So, you know, had shared that with Adam and he was like, okay, so like, are you interested in (laughs) having sex with a woman? And I was like, "Uh, I don't know, you know, I'm still like, wasn't fully able Mm -hmm. to like admit to myself that I was, but you know, he's a great partner and very Mm -hmm. supportive and wanted me to make sure that I was like having my needs met. And, you know, so was very open to the idea of talking about 
me getting to have that experience either on my own or with us together. And then I think just after talking about it for a while, just I very much realized that like, actually, yeah, I was <laughs> interested in having that experience. So that was kind of the precursor to us joining this app. <laughs> cool. Oh, yeah. thank you for sharing that. Because yeah, I think yeah. that's like, it's different for everybody how that yeah. comes up in the conversation. Okay, cool. Okay. So fast forward us into that experience. Like when you're having this first sexual experience with this woman, what, 2017, you are, how old are you at this time? You're not, oh, wait, what year is it? Um, yeah, I right. would have been 30. Yeah, I was 30. Okay, 30. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like, what was that first night like, or that moment like with a woman? It was just really exciting. And like, yeah. I, you know, I can't say that I felt like, oh, it was finally my truth was realized and like sure. sleeping with a totally. woman for the first time. Totally. You know? But I think it just felt, it felt exciting. And it felt exciting um, that it was happening for me and Adam as well. Like mm. it was something that we shared together. It definitely brought us closer. I think that it improved our intimacy in multiple ways. And going back to this idea of like kind of living my truth, it did feel like, okay, like I've thought about this for a long time. Mm. Now I've actually done it. And part of the excitement was actually like telling some of my friends that it had mm. happened. Cause I was like, oh, I finally had this, a sexual experience with a woman. And they were like very happy for me because I think mm. that a lot of them knew that that was something I wanted. Mm. So mm. I think that was probably part of the excitement was actually like just feeling like I was doing something that felt true to who I was. Yeah. Ah, hell yeah. Cool. Okay. (laughs) So then like at the time you mentioned earlier, navigating the different identities of like romantic identity and sexual identity. So like around that time is when you were kind of in that state of, yeah, like, okay, I think I'm bisexual and then maybe hetero romantic, like walk me through kind of that process too. And maybe it continues into the relationship now, but of like kind of getting more clarity on your different identities. I don't think that that experience changed me thinking of myself as wanting a romantic relationship with a woman. I think, Mm. you know, again, because it was sex, I was like, I wanted to experience sex with a woman. And now I know that it's something that I enjoy and, you know, would like to keep doing. And again, like it took a lot of communication around like, Mm. is this something we want to do as a couple? Do we want to have openness in our relationship where we are able to have romantic and sexual experiences outside the relationship? What we kind of came back to was it worked the best. We tried a couple different things, but it definitely worked the best when it was us together. So that was kind of the mindset I was going into when we met Annie. And it's very funny. People make fun of us all the time, but we met Annie at Burning Man. Our our friends joked that because it was all of our first time going to Burning Man. And so there was lots of joking about goes to Burning Man once, comes home in a throuple <laughs> because that was, <laughs> that is kind of what it felt like. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, in going into Burning Man and meeting Annie, that was kind of where my head was at. I think Adam's mm-hmm. head was at was we were interested in having sexual experiences with other people, you know, mm-hmm. depending on the situation, of course, with each other. And so, yeah, we met Annie at Burning Man. We really connected. I felt a very strong connection between her and I immediately. Mm. And then I think the three of us also really connected. I think it was like one night where we had a sexual experience with all three of us. And then in going back to San Francisco, uh, I think a lot of that kind of freedom of being there really stayed with us. And we wanted to continue seeing her. Adam was fine with me continuing to see her, you know, kind of date her on my own. And then Mm. we also, all three of us would, you know, spend time together and go on dates and sleep together. And then there came a point to where it was very clear that if we were developing a relationship between the three of us, then we needed to nourish and develop the relationships um, 
one-on-one as well, which Mm. meant that Adam and Annie also go on dates alone, have sex alone. And so that was like, I think anyone who experiences poly relationships or open relationships, there does come that first time, right? When it's like the, I'm feeling jealous. This feels a little, you know, there's that twinge. Um, Mm. But I think I was very aware that it was necessary in order to keep this, whatever this thing was going. Mm. And I'm glad that I was able to do that. And the three of us have worked a lot on communicating and making sure that we all feel good as we got to know each other. And as we continued to date, just being yeah, very open about how we were feeling. And a triad is inherently challenging because three people mm. is an uneven number. Um, <laughs> and there's been a lot of stuff to work through. I mean, Adam and I had been together for years before we met Annie. Yeah, because how long, how many years was that? When we started dating Annie, we had been together for seven years. Seven years. Okay, now wow. we've been together for 10. Yeah. 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 I feel like I'm rambling ahead, but no, yeah. <laughs> this is like so fascinating and helpful to hear. And like, I guess I'm so curious about in that time period after Burning Man, when you were like just kind of, it sounds like everyone was just letting themselves like follow what they were feeling, mm-hmm. but it doesn't sound like you kind of had language for what you were doing. Like, what was like your conception? Yeah at the time of what was happening between you and Annie, what was happening for the three of you? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think when we started, this is when also when I was getting more familiar with language around different types of relationships, like what Mm. it means to be open, what it means to be poly. Mm. And I think when we initially started dating, I was thinking of a lot of poly relationships, folks will have a primary partner and then um, a secondary or multiple secondary partners where, you know, maybe you live with your primary partner, maybe you're married, and then you have boyfriends and or girlfriends on, you know, outside of that, that are still committed, long-term loving relationships, mm. but you have your primary and your secondary partners. That's how I have understood that a lot of poly relationships work. Yeah. So I thought that was maybe going to be how it was going to be for me and Adam and Annie, like Adam and I were going to be each other's primary partners. Annie was going to be our secondary partner. Mm. You know, if she was interested in dating other people as well, Maybe that was okay. We could talk about it. Yeah. And then the more time we spent together, it was just very clear that the three of us were in a committed relationship. Mm. Um, you know, I can't necessarily pinpoint the exact moment. It had definitely been a couple months, I would say. Yeah. But, you know, we were falling in love with each other. And mm. it's quite rare that I think three people fall in love with each other equally which is, I think is why you don't necessarily hear about a lot of three-person relationships or sure. yeah. triads. I think the more common scenario, again, with poly relationships is primary, secondary. You know, it can be really hard to fall in love with one person and have them <laughs> reciprocate that, let alone three people totally equally falling in love with each other and wanting to be together. So super rare, right? But I think that's one of the reasons why we were like, wow, we really got to hold on to this because mm. it felt and still does feel just very very right. And just yeah. like exactly what we all wanted. So we all moved in together. We'd been dating for about a year when we decided mm. that we were all three going to move in together. Mm. And yeah, we've all lived together for two and a half years now, which majority of which has been during the pandemic. So right. right. Good <laughs> yeah. on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's more to share there. And wait, can I pause and back us up too to like when you're moving in, when you were like really kind of leaning into, okay, this is our relationship and really committing to that. Like, I'm curious, like if and where this concept of coming out comes into your story and what does that look like for you? And yeah. What, what shape did that take? Yeah. Great question. I think realizing that we were in a relationship meant making sure that Annie was just included and a part of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which meant coming out to family and friends. And I would say, you know, friends were the easy part. I mean, again, like I went to the quote unquote gay school in Minneapolis. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of my friends, even though triads are very uncommon, I think they were, you know, some of my friends were like a little confused, like, oh, Mm. okay, but super Mm. supportive. We're so excited to meet Annie. Family was a little trickier. And again, I want to be clear, like I have very loving, kind, supportive parents. But I think anytime it's your kid, right, there's like things that parents have to process. And the even trickier thing was that when Adam and I met Annie, we were already engaged and we were planning a wedding ceremony. Mm -hmm. Um, Long story short, Annie ended up planning and executing our, basically our entire wedding and co-officiating our wedding with another friend, which was really Mm -hmm. beautiful because she knew and knows our love in a more unique way than any other person will ever know it. Um, So it actually seemed quite fitting that she would officiate our wedding. Totally. But from our family's perspective, first of all, just so many questions. They were like, mm. are you still getting married? Well, yes. So you and Adam have a girlfriend. Well, what does that mean? Like, what is she, is she yeah. going to be in the wedding? What is, what is, you know, just trying to figure out our relationship with her, mm. which is understandable. Mm. But because we had this wedding ceremony, we definitely had to convey, it took some work. Well, and also just the fact that Adam and I had been together for so long and we already knew each other's families. We have had to do a lot of work to convey to our families that the three of us are equal partners mm. and there's no hierarchy. <laughs> and yeah. we want and hope that Annie will be treated with just as much love and respect and kindness as both Adam and I are treated among mm. our families. Mm. So we've come a long way. It has taken a lot of conversations, but ultimately, like our families really love all three of us. And you know, my family, Adam's family, have completely accepted Annie as part of the family at this point. She comes to holidays with us. We've gone on family vacations together. Mm. We know Annie's family as well, have made a lot of progress over the years of getting to know them better. And I think all of our families will always have questions um, or maybe they won't fully understand. Mm. But I think most of them, especially the parents, are realizing that maybe it doesn't matter because they love all of us and they want us to be happy. And if this makes us happy, then that's okay. So Mm, like all the snaps, (laughs) all the snaps, totally. What a wild ride. Yeah, I know. It's very weird sometimes that this is my life, but like I was thinking about this and reflecting the other day, because I'm also working on an essay about our love story, actually. Awesome. Yeah. And it's just funny because I never thought that having two partners at the same time, especially two partners that we, you know, the three of us, plan to be together forever. We want to have kids together. I never thought that this was even within the realm of possibilities for my life. And I could not imagine my life any other way. Pretty pretty crazy realization to have. Whoa. In this process of like reflecting on a relationship and then also kind of, yeah, reflecting on your experience kind of with younger you, like I can see like some of the indicators, right? Like I definitely see like the queerness there present. Do you see any part of this multiple love option back in your story at all? Or is that just like a totally new discovery? I think, honestly, I think it was, yeah, totally new discovery. I think even though gayness and queerness were like very accepted in my community growing up, I never thought that there was anything wrong with being queer, wrong with being gay. I don't think I even knew what polyamory was until like five years ago. Totally, right. (laughs) Um, And again, I think that's a product of being in San Francisco, being in the Bay Area and just... You know, it's funny when I told my dad about our relationship with Annie, he was like, 
well, you are in the epicenter of the sexual revolution. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yes, father. <laughs> great, <laughs> great answer. But he's also not wrong. I mean, right. you know, it's like totally. there is a level of openness here and yeah. sexual freedom and sexual expression that I don't think I was even aware of until totally. a few years ago. Totally. So I didn't even think that it would be possible because I think like I've known for a long time that I wanted to be with Adam forever. And so the idea of another person was just not even again within the realm of possibilities. Right. You know, I didn't ever think that I could be with Adam and someone else until this idea of open relationships and polyamory entered my mind and my lexicon. And then that's when I started thinking more about it. But yeah, I would say, well, I didn't even know what polyamory was and I didn't even consider it a possibility for my own life until like four or five years ago, Wow. like age 30, basically. Yeah, Totally. What a pivotal time that age 30, like, right? totally like this opening up into your queerness, opening up into kind of like finding kind of what way of being in relationship feels like most true for you. Like how wild. Super wild. I think, mm. you know, I, when I was a kid, I probably thought of 30 as being old, whatever old means. Mm. And I really feel like I truly yeah, came into my authentic self, not until I turned 30. Ooh. <laughs> love, 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 love. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm. Was there any parts of your story that we didn't get to that feel like they wants to be a part of this conversation? <sighs> well, first I'll say, you know, I've I mentioned that Annie, Adam and I plan on spending the rest of our lives together. Yeah. I actually, over the summer, proposed to Annie and re-proposed to Adam. I had rings and everything. <laughs> and, oh. um, you know, we can't get legally married, but I deeply feel, you know, and again, I've experienced this feeling with one person. So I feel like I can say with authenticity that I feel the feelings that people feel when they want to get married, you know, when they want to spend Mm -hmm. the rest of their life with someone, or in my case, someone's. And I think like people ask us all the time, like, is it harder being in a relationship with two people than it's with one person? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer is no. And yes, being in a three-person relationship takes a lot of communication. So does being in a two-person relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Communication is great for all relationships. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's actually like quite wonderful in unexpected ways. I mean, we all kind of like have our person for different things. I mean, Annie and Adam love to bond together over like doing projects or like around the house and stuff. Mm. And that gives me like some alone time, some like solo time that I really need, right? Because it's like, You'd imagine that with two partners, especially during the pandemic, there's times when it starts to feel like you don't have enough alone time. Mm. But having the dyads, you know, within the triad allows us to have these connections and kind of like our partners in crime in these certain areas. Mm. And then also have this solo time that feels really, I don't say like guilt-free, but something like that, where you're like, you know, that they're doing something together that they love. And so you can go do something on your own and feel really good about it having your like independent solo time. So that's been a really cool Mm. dynamic to discover within the triad. And then just the last thing that I was going to say is our, (laughs) the next challenge that, you know, we're going to be encountering as a triad is, you know, we want to have kids together and, Mm. you know, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but no matter who gives birth to the kid, if that's what happens, no matter whose child it is biologically, we will all three be legal parents. It is legal to have three parents on a birth certificate in California. You have to hire legal representation to get a court order. So that'll be fun. (laughs) But 
but it is possible. So TBD on that part of the story, but maybe we can meet again and I'll fill oh you in. Oh my God. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can, I can only even imagine like the legal hoops because mm-hmm. so many structures are built in place for a monogamous partnership yes. and I mean hetero, but like also yes. monogamous. And you mentioned, yeah, like right now, three of you can't get married and right. so you're navigating like, what does it look like to have a legal partnership amongst you three? Then yeah, bringing kids into the equation. That's yeah. a headache, it sounds like. Yeah, no, it is, right? And like the system <gasps> has never been friendly to queer parents, right? No, um, right. Because as so many like gay couples are aware of, you can't accidentally have a baby. It has to be very intentional, right? right? right. And yeah, there's a lot of hoops and red tape that we will have to jump through. But I did read a really good book about a gay male triad that went through this experience of having two kids and becoming all three legal parents called uh, Three Dads and a Baby Adventures in Modern Parenting. So highly recommend that if anyone's interested in what poly parenting looks like. Ooh, three dads and a baby. Cool. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I hope just more and more conversations around this are being had and more and more like people are taking up space and showing kind of, there's not just one way of being a parent. There's not just one way of yeah. being in a relationship. Like we're totally at this like shift point and we're maybe like, you know, a little skewed living in San Francisco, but like, I really feel it happening in the culture. And I'm just pumped that you are coming on here to share your story, to kind of give more voice to really kind of what it's like to in a triad what it's like and really showing kind of the strengths challenges all the things Mm -hmm. just like any relationship yeah i'm really glad that i got to share my story to share our story and i do i think there's a cultural shift happening and so maybe our kids won't be the only weirdos at school with different kind of parents (laughs) we'll see i mean yeah gosh that's that whole other conversation yeah what is that like to raise (laughs) a kid in like a yeah i don't even know what the word like monogamy normative world i don't know what like that term is but like yeah what Mm. is that gonna be like have to consult the poly dictionary the poly dictionary yep (laughs) perfect got it handy well okay so we'll have to then have you back on in the future once we once you navigate all these hoops you got to share the knowledge but yeah i can't wait Mm. but seriously thank you for coming on and sharing your story and selfishly as your friend it was like a really cool and interesting experience like I learned parts of your story that I didn't know and I feel like I got to know you better and I just feel so honored just on the friend level that you wanted to come on and share your story but then also I think there's so much juice in what you share that I think is going to be really informational and helpful and all the things for folks so just thank you so much well, thank you, Coco. I can't call you Adam. You're Coco to me. <laughs> Thanks Coco. for having me on, Coco. Yeah. This was a really special experience. Mm, awesome. Okay, then if folks want to get in touch with you or follow up with you after listening to this, like, what's a good place to direct them? That's a great question. I would be happy to chat with anyone who's uh, interested in learning more about polyamory, different kinds of relationships, um, because I found it really helpful to have a community around a lot of questions and discoveries that come up and that have come up for me on this journey. So I guess probably my Gmail. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) I genuinely don't know. (laughs) Sure. Uh huh. I mean, if do you want people to be able to email you? Yeah, I don't care. Okay, what, what's your Gmail? Yeah, it's molly, M-O-L-L-Y dot Fosco, F-O-S-C-O at gmail.com. Cool. Thanks for offering yourself as a resource. I hope people take yeah, you up on it. Yeah, for sure. Because it is helpful to have like guides who have like done yeah. it before or still figuring it out, right? Like none of us have anything perfectly, but it's just super helpful. And like, maybe that's something I'm just thinking about, like this idea of queer ancestors, how helpful it is. It's also like, 
I don't know what access people have to like poly ancestors to like be able to right. like pass down these life experiences because I mean, I'm sure they've been there, but like yeah. not as visible. I'm curious about that for our future generations, like what's happening, particularly for our generation now to be able to offer some guidance and insight to those that follow and hopefully, yeah, you could be one of them. Yeah, maybe I will. I'll be a, someday I'll be a poly elder. Poly elder, baby. <laughs> oh, put him on a t-shirt. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's conversation. Feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more. And you can connect further by following the show on Instagram at, at secondadolescencepod. If you're interested in being a future guest on the show and you want to come on and share about your own second adolescence, visit secondadolescencepod.com slash be a guest and you can submit your interest there. All right, that's it for me for now. Whether it's morning, afternoon, night, wherever we're finding you in your day, go on out there and keep doing things that would make younger you absolutely thrilled. That is what it's all about. Mm. All right, take good care. <laughs>